through 9 today. Well, actually, I'm going to read chapter one, or verse 1 as well. So listen to the word of God. Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. In this way, my beloved, I urge Eudea and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companions, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things that you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them, and the God of peace will be with you. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am a qualified believer in the pursuit of excellence. Okay, so there's an asterisk when I say that. I, and I really like to listen to an expert in about anything. And if someone's an affasciato who excel, uh, whether they be a carpenter or a scholar or a medical researcher, a vintner, a celloist, or a point guard, I, I really do love to, to be around people who are good at what they do, who love what they do, who excel at what they do. Um, the football team, you know, they'll, for the rest of their lives, they'll remember this state championship. And they'll forget about all the hours they spend in the weight room, but all the minutes and hours and years of training that went into that championship game yesterday paid off. I think doing the best you can, improving your craft or a particular skill or hobby you have, I think wanting things to be done well are all noble pursuits. You know, this is something that I've always emphasized with churches and when I taught seminarians. That if we feel that one's relationship with God is the most important aspect of one's life, if it is the central, if you would, existential question, then you should be expected to be trained and prepared as your doctor or your lawyer. And so I've been a big critic of dumbing, the dumbing down of seminary education. Matter of fact, I've lost that battle, by the way. I've not won that battle. And matter of fact, I think that's been part of a problem in our whole educational system, right? The dumbing down of our educational system. For instance, I don't understand grade inflation. I mean, I do, but I don't. Like, I remember looking at a kid, the first time I encountered it, I asked someone what their grades were, and they go, I have a 4.3. I go, well, how did that happen? <laughs> All right. Now, again, I understand weighted things, but part of it is we've lowered the bar, right? Part of it's a lowering of the bar because we want people to feel good about themselves, and that's okay. 
it's okay for people to feel good about themselves. They just should be able to have accomplished something, right? You know, you should, you, you should feel good about your accomplishments if you've accomplished something. As, Mike, as coach Mike Tomlin, you know, I'm a Steeler fan, he says, the standard is the standard, right? Years ago, I had the only African-American kids at Windy Gap Camp. It's a great camp, Young Life Camp, down in Western North Carolina. Young Life was a Christian organization that worked with non-Christian kids. And we had about probably over 300 high school students down in the beautiful uh, hills of Western North Carolina. There was horseback riding, there was zip lining, it was a lake, uh, just a first rate camp. The food was good. And, um, and I had the only uh, black kids in the whole camp. And, um, and these are great kids, I love these kids. My kids were, they, my, my group was, were great. They were wild, man. They got, they spent a lot of time in trouble back home, but they were my guys. Uh, but you can imagine there were some tensions uh, throughout the week. Uh, I won't go into those details, uh, but I was doing something and, and a leader from, from Florida came up to me and said, uh, your boys are causing trouble. And which I was thinking, well, of course they are, right? That's kind of what they do. But I said, okay, I'll come along. And this is what the, the trouble was. Uh, they had a beautiful gym there. It was a beautiful open air gym. And it was regulation basketball uh, court, but they had a hoop that they would lower, right? So that white suburban kids could dunk the basketball. Okay, so instead of being at 10 feet, they lowered it to eight feet or seven. And my guys were just sitting there watching white guys dunk the ball and laughing at them. And they would, so the, the kids would run up and you know, they gave them little balls and they would dunk the ball and all their friends would be cheering and my guys would just laugh at them. And so I came up to them and I, I thought there was a fight or something and, and I said, but guys, what are you doing? They go, just watch this, Bill, you're gonna laugh at it too. And so, and so I did stand there, we laughed at them together and then I moved them away. <laughs> Now, there's no sin in lowering a basketball net, right? Uh, uh, I, I would have liked to have been able to dunk a ball at one point, uh, and you would have had to lower the net for me. But it's not the same, right? To dunk a ball, <laughs> if the hoop is seven feet, it's not the same as dunking a ball for real. You know, we're used to hearing about the pursuit of excellence in academics, in sports, in business. And, you know, part of the problem is that sometimes, particularly I've seen this unrealistically on lots of different places in the industry um, with some youth coaches who, who don't quite know what they're doing, they confuse perfectionism with excellence, right? You know, maybe that's been some of your issues, right? That's the trouble if you're, no, if you're an achiever, right? It's very easy to slip into a kind of perfectionism which never works out actually, right? For either you or for the people around you. And there's a difference between those two things. Sometimes that happens in, in religious life too, right? Perfectionism is part of what leads to religious people often being pretty judgmental. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul says that we are to think on things that are excellent. What exactly does he mean by that? Now, before we can get into that, we have to look at something that I, that often you could just pass over, okay? But the church at Philippi, this lovely congregation, 
this in the middle of a book of the Bible. It's a book of the Bible now. But one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter was because two women in the church were not getting along. Shocking. Eudea and Syntyche, two key early leaders in the small church there in Philippi, the first Pauline church on the European continent, for whatever reason, are not getting along. We had an interesting discussion about this in the men's Bible study. What causes problems in churches? Now, I know you all don't know anything about that here, but... (laughs) Hmm. Well, I think the chief problem with churches is that they're made up of people, <laughs> right? It's kind of like I had a I, I, one of uh, I knew a British soccer coach who did youth uh, youth stuff. He came over from the UK, and he said his dream soccer team would be a team of orphans. Think about it for a minute, because there'd be no parents you'd have to deal with. Mm. But the truth of the matter is, it should not surprise us that churches have problems because it actually is our theology, right? All right. We believe that people are bent, that we all are sinful people. We all fall short of the glory of God. So it makes sense that when we get together, we often disagree or hurt each other. Matter of fact, I was talking to one person in the community. I can't believe that happened at the church. I go, why not? The church is a bunch of organized sinners. We're actually better at sinning because we're organized. (laughs) But see, it's okay to disagree. But it can't stop there, right? Paul says he had the mind of Christ. And that harkens back to chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can flick back there. But remember chapter two, he says, if you have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, any participation, any affection, any sympathy, make my joy complete by having the same mind, the same love. I I have a big family and we do not always see eye to eye. And having boys, sometimes that disagreement ended up with things being broken. Okay, I've said before, all my sons know how to do drywall because they put each other through walls. I said, you break it, you gotta fix it, all right? So they're all very good at drywall because they've all put each other through walls at one point or the other. But the bond of brotherhood never ends. And the same thing, in many ways, the bonds that we should have as Christians are even deeper than our family bonds because we are all in Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together said this, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face may have been strange and intolerable to me, but is transformed in intercession into the countenance of brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. He later on says that the goal of Christianity is not to somehow manufacture love in your heart for other people, but it's to allow the love 
the Christ in you to love the Christ in them. So yeah, the church of Philippi had problems, right? Every church does. Matter of fact, if you don't have problems, you're probably not doing anything, right? It's okay that we have struggled here in the past. That's okay. But the call, as it always is, is to see the face of Christ in each person, even the people you don't agree with. And then he goes on to talk about not being anxious about anything, right? <laughs> right? Isn't one of the first things you're not supposed to say to someone who's anxious? Stop being anxious. Right. I, one of my favorite movies of all time is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And I love when the Pinkerton, you know, they're running from the Pinkerton folks, and they're finally, they can't get any further, they're on top of a cliff. And um, Butch Cassidy says, we have to jump. And the Sundance Kid says, I'm afraid, I can't, I can't swim. To which Butch Cassidy says, well, the fall is probably going to kill you anyway. <laughs> anxiety is part of the human condition. I've said this before. If you, if you have anxiety, that means your ancestors were fast enough to get away from saber-toothed tigers or Vikings. <laughs> Vikings kept coming to my homeland and messing things up, okay? That's why all of us Irish have a little Viking in our blood system, right? <laughs> in our genetic material, right? My, the, my uh, ancestor who came to this country, his grandfather lived where they had the 30-year war. Okay, so he somehow survived the 30-year war, which wiped out about 60% of central Germany, what is central Germany today. So I'm assuming he was a pretty anxious guy because he lived, he kept moving, right? But, but that's one thing, if we're fleeing saber-toothed tigers or Vikings. But it's another thing when we face each day with the fear. And some of those fears are real and some of them are Still real, because they're yours, right? Okay. Bonhoeffer says in Life Together, God is a God, not of emotions, but a God of truth. Your feelings are real, but they're not who you are. And Paul's antidote for anxiety is to pray and rejoice. And this is really important. You need to pray as you can, not as you can't. In other words, you may say, uh, you may say, I don't know how to pray. And I always respond, can you say help? We all can say help, right? And so it's really important. You pray how you can, not how you can't. I mean, I've prayed frequently in my life. I'm not sure you're listening. I'm not even sure you're there to listen, but I'm going to talk to you anyway. Sometimes you have to fake it till you make it, right? You pray until you know. Or more importantly, you pray until you know that you're known, right? John Wesley tells this story about he was on a boat coming from Georgia 
back to England. And I can't imagine crossing the Atlantic during the hurricane season in those boats that they did. That's crazy to think about that. A lot of people didn't make it. But he was terrified. And over in the corner were a group of Moravians. And they were praying and comforting everyone around them. And Wesley was an ordained minister. But he said in his journal, they have something I don't have. And that was the beginning of his ultimate conversion. You see, there are a lot of things to be anxious about in the world. There are a lot of things out there that are just sad and, and bad. And those things sometimes happen to us and the people we love. But prayer reminds us that we're not alone. Pray as you can, and the peace will eventually come. So finally, we get to the idea of excellence. Our modern idea of excellence tends to focus on external things, right? Accomplishments, goals, material gain, degrees, awards. But that's not the initial, where the initial concept came from in the Western world. It's not where the concept that you heard in our reading from Syriac or the reading from Paul. One of Plato's dialogues is Critio, and Critio was a rich Athenian businessman. And Socrates has been convicted of corrupting youth and has been given a death sentence. And Critio comes to, comes to Socrates and says, I want to bribe the judge so you live, okay? Which was very much a part of Greco-Roman judicial life. If you had money, you could get off. Some things have not changed. Anyway, he comes to, Credio comes to Socrates and says, you should not die, this is unjust, let me bribe your way out of this. And he says, no. He says, that do we not believe that living well and living rightly are the same thing? And Credio said, yes. And so Socrates says, I will not bribe my way to save my life. Excellence, the kind of excellence Paul is talking about here is living well and living rightly. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is beautiful, whatever is commendable, think about these things. Paul has taken over the Greek idea of the good, the true, and the beautiful and has baptized them. And they are part of our approach as well. Bonhoeffer in Life Together says this, who can really be faithful in great things if he has not learned to be faithful in the things of daily life? Excellence is not something that's achieved out there. Excellence is the daily practice of living the good that God has given us by seeing those around us through the eyes of Christ. By saying our prayers even when we don't feel like it. 
by loving our neighbor, regardless of how unlovable they may be. When I think of excellence, I think of Bob Grasberger of blessed memory. Bob was a brilliant lawyer, very successful Philadelphia lawyer, knew the Bible better than most ministers, was a remarkable elder, helped write a national confession, um, was very formidable. He was formidable in both the English and French meaning of that word. And as a 34-year-old pastor, he was one of my members. And the interim pastor warned me, said, don't let Bob Grasberger make you feel bad. Okay. Um, and I have to admit, Bob Grasberger was, was a great gift to me. I had been preaching there for a couple months and he came up with this kind of sly look in his face and he goes, we're having a debate about you. And I'm thinking, oh no. Because we can't decide if you're a Baptist or a Catholic. And I was a Presbyterian church. And I look at Bob, I go, yes, and walked away. Um, about 10 years after I'd been there, I, bought, I was driving in Bob's neighborhood and he was walking, he waved me down and he had this very sad look on his face and he came up to me and says, I want you to know, I'm not telling everybody, but I want you to know I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And that means that I could start losing my memory. And I said to Bob, I said, well, that just means in about 10 years, you'll be closer to the rest of us because <laughs> he was so smart, so brilliant. And I worried about Bob because Bob is this very active guy, he was very involved in nonprofits and missions, was a from, you know, very, you know, not someone you, to take lightly, someone who ran his life of a lot of order and excellence. And five years down the line, I remember seeing him the last week of his life. I walked into, he was in a, a assisted living place with his wife, and I walked into his room and he had uh, Beethoven playing in the background. He had his Bible open on his lap and he was kind of asleep. And I, I, I woke him up just to say hi to him. And he looked at me and, and, and had the most amazing countenance of peace. And I said, how are you doing, Bob? He goes, I'm good. Because I've learned that with whatever state I'm in, God is sufficient. God is enough. That's excellence. That's what it means to live an excellent life. Not out here, but we allow God to give us his peace, his goodness, his beauty inside. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let us stand together and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. 
He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to continue your worship by giving to God your gifts, your tithes, and your offerings. <laughs> 